All right, well, this is Ruth part four. We are in chapter three. I hope that doesn't confuse you. Ruth part four, we're in chapter three. Um, really quickly, the series is titled Hold Fast. And over the first three weeks, we looked at how we are called, first of all, to hold fast to the king, holding fast to him. And in doing that, he continually reminds us of our true identity. We can lose sight of that along the way. Naomi goes through some hardships and she begins to adopt a different name that means bitter. But her true name means pleasant, good. And that's the name God has given us. He's given us a name in him. And so let's hold fast to him. And in doing that, we will hold fast to our identity in him. So that was week one. Week two, we talked about holding fast to God's people. And we, we just kind of did an exploration on friendship, biblical friendship and godly relationships. And we looked at the story of Ruth and Orpah as they decided, they wrestled through the decision if they were going to go with Naomi from their home country of Moab back to Bethlehem. And Ruth ultimately clung to Naomi. And we saw Naomi's love for her daughters-in-law and that she gave them freedom to choose what they needed to choose. And so we watched that exchange of friendship and love in week two. And then last week, as we explored chapter two, um, we talked about holding fast to grace. And we looked at some ways that God's grace shows up in our lives. And basically we said, um, his grace shows up through his presence. He's, he's around and he's working and he's near. Um, we looked at the fact that he gives us grace through his protection. He protects us and cares for us. And then finally, we talked about how his grace is on display in our lives through his provision. He provides for us and not just a little bit, abundantly, more than we need. Um, and so that's where we've been the last three weeks. And now we're going to jump into this this morning, Ruth chapter three. I'm actually going to start with the very last verse of chapter two, and then we're going to go all the way through chapter three together this morning. Y'all ready to jump in? Yeah. yeah? Y'all are a little bit quiet. Are we good? It's rainy. It's dark. It's fall break. I get it. I get it. All right. Well, let's go for it. Yeah? Awesome. Y'all are super <laughs> eager. This is great. All right. Ruth chapter two, the very last verse, verse 23, kind of summarizes what Ruth was going to do for a period of time. And so here we go. Ruth chapter two, verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, And she lived with her mother-in-law. And then over to verse one of chapter three, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? So Ruth has, has learned this incredible lesson um, through her interactions with Boaz and with Naomi. And she, she has decided to stay close to Boaz and to his people and to stay in his field and to glean. And she's gathering needed supplies for her and Naomi to survive. And she now continues, it says, from the barley harvest to the wheat harvest. Now there is gonna come a point in this series where we start to make some big picture connections between this story and some of the, the feasts and ceremonies in, in Jewish culture that are laid out in the scripture, and we're gonna connect how they point to Jesus. So I just wanna to say to you that the barley harvest and the wheat harvest are significant. And to give you a little preview, they correlate directly with the feast of Passover, the barley harvest, 
and the Feast of Pentecost, the wheat harvest. And we're going to see some really cool symbolism about our relationship with Jesus through those two things. So that's coming later. But just so that you know, this is a period of time that could last four to six weeks. It could be up to 50 days in between the, the end of barley harvest and the wheat harvest. So, you know, this is a, a significant period of time. And throughout this time, Ruth is working day and night out in that field, working to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. She is, is dawn to dusk. She goes out there and gathers all day. We saw at the end of chapter two, after a full day of working, she would then take what she had gathered and she had to do this process of separating uh, the good stuff from the bad stuff is the simplest way to put it. The usable part that they could then cook with, bake with. And she would do all that work in the evening and then go home at the very end of the night. And she just repeated this process day after day. So Naomi sees this taking place, is watching her daughter faithfully work, faithfully serve. And then she makes this statement at the beginning of chapter three, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Naomi's heart for Ruth is that she would find rest and that it, that it would be beneficial to her. It's needed. It was important for Ruth to find rest. I just have to tell you this morning, God has that for us. Our King wants us to experience rest that He plans to give us. And it's beneficial for us. And so the question is, will I recognize that that's available? Will I see that life and take hold of it? It's there. And so Naomi just says to Ruth, listen, I want to arrange this for you. And then she lays out a plan. And so the next few verses, I'll just give you the rundown. The next few verses, after telling Ruth that she longs for her to have rest, she says, here's the plan and here's the instructions. This guy, Boaz, he's a near relative of ours. And that means something significant, Ruth. There's something really cool that can come from this relationship. This guy who's taken note of you and is taking care of you. He's a near relative. And tonight, he's at the threshing floor. So he's going to do on a large scale the, the small thing that Ruth has been doing each night. He's going to go up on this threshing floor and he's going to separate the good from the bad. And he's going to be working hard all night and then there's going to be the harvest right there up on this threshing floor. And so he's going to be working tonight. So Ruth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to clean yourself up. I want you to put on your best outfit. I want you to, to oil up, anoint yourself with oil, probably some essential oils there and good old biblical times, right? She's getting cleaned up. She's, she's dressed nice. She's getting herself together and presentable. And then Naomi says, I want you to go up towards the threshing floor. Don't make yourself known. Don't let Boaz see you. Wait till he's done all the work. Wait till he's done celebrating. He's going to eat. He's going to feast. He's going to celebrate. He's going to drink a little bit tonight. It's a party. That's in the Bible. Just letting you know. There's a party going on. Wait till he's had food and he's had drink and he's, he's ready to bed down for the night and he's going to sleep up there on the threshing floor. We've got to continue to remember the context of this. They have been in a 10-year famine. There is no way that he's leaving the harvest up there by itself in the middle of the night. He is sleeping right next to that harvest. And so she said, take note where he lays down and after he's good and asleep and everything's quiet, I want you to go down by his feet, uncover his feet. So like lift up his blanket or his cloak, uncover his feet 
and lie right next to his feet and then wait and do what he says, what he tells you to do. Now that sounds pretty scandalous to me. I mean, here's this Jewish mom telling this girl, hey, I want you to go do this crazy thing. I want you to go in the middle of the night and sneak up to this guy by his feet and kind of uncover his feet. I don't know about you guys, when my feet get uncovered in the middle of the night, especially if there's a fan going, that wakes me up. I like having my feet covered at night. Uncover his feet. And so she's asking Ruth to do something that seems crazy and seems risky. And I just have to tell you guys, there, there are times where we get invited into something that seems a little crazy, a little risky, a little dangerous. It seems like something that we shouldn't do. I mean, this seems wrong, actually. Like, I can't imagine giving one of my daughters the advice of, hey, there's a guy that I think could be a really, just a great guy to have in your life. So what I'd like you to do is wait till he's asleep sneak up to his bed, uncover his feet, and lay there. That is about the exact opposite of what I plan on telling all of my daughters to do. This, this seems crazy. It seems scandalous. Now, now picture Ruth. Think about this for a minute. We got we to get ourselves in the story, okay? Ruth has changed her entire life She's followed her mother-in-law on this crazy adventure. Now she's working her fingers to the bone. Notice Naomi's not out gleaning. She's working her fingers to the bone and Naomi's like, you know what? I'd really like to arrange for you to have some rest. So here's my idea. You go do something really risky and crazy and maybe it'll work out. Wait a minute, Naomi, I thought you were gonna arrange for my rest. No, I want you to go do this thing. I'd be like, Naomi, if you want me to get some rest, you know, how about you just go out and work tomorrow for me? That'd be kind of nice. I could get some rest if, you know, you'd get out a little and do some work. Like we laugh at that, but I wonder how often we really are able to receive instruction or advice from others. See, here's the reality and what we're going to see as we unpack this together this morning we have a role to play in receiving the rest that God intends for us. And the primary thing it will require is humility. We're going to see five ways that it requires humility in our life. But it actually requires humility to receive rest from God. And so the first thing, the first way we see this humility play out is Ruth has to be willing to listen to Naomi. And so Naomi lays out this whole plan, this whole crazy idea. And in verse five, Ruth simply says, all that you say, I will do. I wonder when the last time was that you or I received some direct instructions from somebody in our life that was gonna challenge us and push us and maybe not be what we wanted to hear. And our only reply was, all that you've said, I will do. I mean, that hit me in the face this week. I was like, I felt like God was just having his own, like dealing, dealing with me moment in my study this week. Do I even position myself like that? Do I position myself to hear like that, to have somebody speak a hard truth into my life that I need to hear? And yet here's Ruth and she's an adult. This isn't a child. She's an adult, and yet her mother-in-law is giving her this instruction, and she says, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to listen. Listening to other people requires humility. It requires humility. I'm willing to receive something from you. And it, it, it stretches us in a couple of ways, I believe, because part of, part of why I have a hard time listening is either, number one, I'm prideful and think I know better, or I'm actually pretty anxious and worried that I'm getting it wrong. And when somebody points something out in my life, it feels like an attack. And I want to protect myself. And so I can't hear that. I can't receive that because I'm defending myself. See, humility will deal with pride and it will deal with low self-esteem. It's, it's all a form of pride. It's a, it's a focus, an unhealthy focus on self. And so practicing being able to listen and receive instruction from someone who knows us. This isn't some random stranger just kind of trying to drop some like, hey, I think you should go do this. This is Naomi. Like they're in relationship. They're living together. They're walking through life together. And Ruth positioned herself where she could listen. Well, she doesn't stop there. Humility is on display, first of all, through her listening. Secondly, she does it. She doesn't just say, I'm going to do it, and then kind of go off and sort of arrange it in her nice, neat way that she wants to do it that feels safer or better to her. She does the thing she listened to. Verse 6, so Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Naomi says, I'm going to arrange for you to have rest. Now get to work. And Ruth says, okay, and does it. She participates in the process of receiving the rest that's coming her way by listening and secondly, by obeying. Now, I, I want to just stop here and remind us of something. It has become really unpopular in church circles to talk about the word obey. It has. It's become really unpopular unpop to talk about being corrected about hearing something that we don't want to hear. We talk a lot about God's grace and about his mercy, and we don't realize that God's grace is at work when we engage in that relationship. When I'm saying yes to his grace, I receive it. When I'm saying yes to his correction, I find mercy. We participate in the process of receiving what God has for us. And this whole thing, remember verse one, the whole thing started with Naomi saying that this is gonna be good for you. I wanna arrange for your rest so that it may be well with you. Walking in humility in our relationship with God, letting him speak truth into our life that we need to hear and saying yes to him when he asks us to do something is for our good. It's for our benefit. It will actually be restful. I want to give you maybe a picture of this. Um, how many folks in here either currently work or have worked like a full-time job? Full-time job, all right? How many of you, if you haven't worked a full-time job, you've done a lot of like part-time work and stuff, right? Most of us have experienced work. Okay. Hands. Has it, just in kind of your own mind, have you ever been in a position where you were in management? You were in charge of people. You had to make some decisions. You had to make some plans. 
If you've been in a position like that, you've probably experienced a couple of things. Number one, you've probably experienced that it's really hard to leave that at work. A couple people got that, right? Like you take it home with you. You're thinking about it at night. You're thinking about it on the weekend. All right. You've, you've also noticed when you're at work, you're just on. Like you got to answer questions. You got to give directions. It's draining. It's draining. All right. It's a hard thing being a manager. There's benefits, but there's real challenges to it. Have, have you ever experienced a time in your life where you were so worn out by that, that you just thought, man, it would really be nice to go to a mindless job where I don't have to make any decisions and somebody's just going to say, go do that and I'll go do that. And at the end of the day, I'll clock out and I'll go home and I don't have to think about it and it's all good. Yes. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. That's this. I'm not saying we should all stop being managers if we're managers. I just, I want to give you a visual picture. There, there is rest that can be found in the simplicity of saying, God, you be in charge. You be in charge. I don't have to be smart enough. I don't have to be big enough. I don't have to be strong enough. God, you can be king in my life. You can be the boss. I'm going to lay down my rights to get it all my way all the time and try to arrange and control everything in my life so it all works out. Does it all work out? It doesn't for me. My experience has been when I'm trying to arrange my life and make it all work out, that's when it seems the most out of control. God's teaching us something here. Let me be the boss. Let me be the king. I'll instruct you. I'll correct you if I need to. But step into some things and I'm going to invite you into a way of life that is, that is simpler and it's restful. And, and you can let me worry about the big stuff and you can just trust me. That takes humility. But it works for our benefit. Now, don't go into work tomorrow and all of you managers tell your boss you're quitting. But let's, let's take this practical real life example and bring it over into our relationship with Jesus and maybe take some stock and reflect and go, God, have I, have I been the boss? And what's that producing in my life? And how worn out and frazzled and discouraged and exhausted am I as I've been trying to arrange for all of it? And God, instead, I'm just, here you go. Here's my pink slip. I don't want that job anymore. Turn in my resignation. You can be the boss. I'm going to walk in humility with you, listening and obeying. And what he would teach us is that that is for our benefit. He doesn't need minions. He doesn't need workers. He's not going, man, if just some more people would trust me, we could really get some stuff done around here. He's got it. He's got it covered. It's for our benefit that we learn to live this way with him. All right, y'all with me? Yeah, all right. Number three, the third way that we see humility, where Ruth has to walk in some humility to receive this rest. She listens, she obeys. Number three, she makes herself vulnerable. She makes herself vulnerable. Look at verse seven. We heard the instruction, we know the plan, but now Ruth actually follows through. Ruth chapter three, verse seven. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain 
And then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Notice how she puts herself at his mercy. She comes at night. She exposes his feet, but she's placing herself at his feet in the middle of the night. This is a bold move. I mean, I think it's still relatively a big move in our culture for a female to initiate with a guy in any kind of relationship. But man, in this culture, where marriages are arranged, where this guy goes to this guy to figure out if I can marry your daughter, and she is gonna go at night and, and expose herself like this. I don't mean literally expose her, you get it. She's being vulnerable. She could be rejected. She could be embarrassed. She could be called out in front of God and everyone right there. Like all of his workers were there, like they're all present sleeping around this huge pile that they've separated. It's at night under the cover of dark, but it's public. And she chooses to be vulnerable. Here's the deal. We have associated so much the word vulnerable with the word weak. And it's not. I almost feel like I just need to talk to the guys for a minute because if, if you're a guy in the room like me, I don't particularly like being compared to Ruth. I'd prefer to be compared to Boaz. I want to be the manly hero. And don't get me wrong, I think there's some things we should learn from this guy, and we will. But we're also called the bride. The church is the bride. And we've associated words like vulnerable and gentle with weakness, and they're not. Vulner vulnerability actually takes great courage. See, to step into the rest that God has for us, it takes the risk of going, I'm going to put myself out there. See, see, really what's happening is Ruth is making a request. She's asking to receive this rest. She didn't wait at home hoping Boaz would show up at the door and knock and say, hey, I'd like to make your life a lot better. She went after it. I want this. I'm asking for this. And in the same way that it hasn't been super popular to talk about things like obedience, I think we've, we've lost a lot in our, our culture as it relates to simply confessing when we're wrong, laying our hearts out there before the Lord. Am I willing to say, God, this is what's going on in me. This is what's broken, what's messed up. God, this is where I'm, I'm struggling, like maybe a negative view I have of you, Lord. Here's something I'm battling. Like, am I willing in my relationship with God to get vulnerable? To say, God, here I am. Here's all of me. I just, I lay myself bare before you. I receive mercy. It, there's an exchange. When I come before him like that, I then receive mercy. And so we, we make ourselves vulnerable. That's a part of humility. But we do it boldly, with courage. We step into it. God, I'm, I'm going to risk this. I mean, I, I think at best, there are times where we think of someone else near us that needs to do that. But how often am I willing to get real? I, I'm not even just talking about like at church because there's a special Sunday where there's an altar call for that. I mean, like just at your house, in your room, alone with the Lord. God, here I am. Here's what's going on in my heart. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm frustrated about. Here I am. 
You know, we were singing the song this morning. Is it, is it, does it feel strange to anyone singing the words, I lift my holy hands up? I mean, I'm, that's weird to me. I've struggled with that song over the years. God, I, these don't feel very holy right now. I don't know that I can lift these up. But thank God for the psalmist who teaches us that we can come to God and say, God, give me clean hands. Give me a pure heart. We, we can invite God to exchange our ashes, our dirt, our mess for his beauty, his glory, his holiness. My hands are holy because of his holiness, not mine. I've got no holiness of myself to bring to the table. But when, but when I'm willing to come and say, God, here it is. I've got two dogs that are like decimating my backyard. This is about to get gross. I've got two dogs that are decimating my backyard. I mean, they're just, you know, it's a dirt fest, you know, dusty. I mean, it looks like an old Western. I'm expecting like tumbleweeds to go by with all the dust that's accumulated from them just running around the yard. And, you know, there's other ways they mess up the yard. And occasionally my children discover some of the ways that my dogs mess up the yard. Are we tracking? Okay. I have one child in particular, I'm not going to call out, who several times this week has come to the door with like stuff between the toes. Right? Now, if I do that, I go around the corner, I find the hose, I rinse it off. I'm sneak. I mean, Amy doesn't ever hear about this. I'm not telling anybody, right? Like, I go off in the corner and do my best to clean this off. My kid comes to the back door. Hey, I stepped in dog poop again. <laughs> and so it's all right, pick him up by the waist, walk over to the counter, sit on the counter, feet right in the sink. And then I got to get in there with my hands and the soap and like get the mud out the mud out of the crevices, right? It's disgusting. I feel like my daughter should be embarrassed and ashamed about what's happening. And she's not. She's just like, eh, stepped in poop. Help me out, dad. If we would just do that with our heavenly father, I'm serious. If we just would come to the back door and go, well, dad, it happened again. We have a dad that's that good. The problem is I'm expecting a furious dad to meet me at the back door. Just like, what in the world are you doing? Are you kidding me? Go around to the hose. I just wonder how often that's the visual that's in our head of what our father is like. And he's going, man, if you would just come to me real and vulnerable, be willing to expose yourself. It's all right. It's a minefield out there. I get it. The world is broken. You're around a lot of broken people and you are a broken person. You're going to step in some poop along the way. But what if we would just be vulnerable and take a risk and come to him and just say, dad, can you help me clean this up? And he goes, yep, I got you. I got you covered. Cause see when she, when she exposed his feet, the real request there is, will you cover over me? That would be the outward symbol of, I'm taking care of this, is he would then take that blanket and cover over her. Nothing weird or funny business, just a, like I've got you covered. 
Isn't it interesting that that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden when their sin was exposed, they immediately rushed to cover themselves. But God taught them, even in the garden, we're not gonna use leaves to cover yourself. I'm gonna actually kill an animal and provide a skin to cover over you. And already he was giving the imagery of the sacrifice that was gonna come one day to fully cover our sin. The poop has already been paid for. It's already been paid for. It's been covered. He's like, I got the soap right here. We're ready. Let's get to work. Why walk around like that? Come on. Let's clean you up. And so Ruth risks being vulnerable and it takes some boldness. It takes some courage. And then finally, and I've already sort of been talking all around this, um, but she trusts Boaz. That's, that's the fifth part of humility, okay? Listening, obeying, being vulnerable, being bold, and trusting. She trusts in his character. So verses uh, eight and nine. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Whoa, what is going on? And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings, she's asking for the covering, over your servant, for you are a redeemer. For you are a redeemer. Now, I just want to say this. She is making a statement of fact. Boaz's position as a relative of Naomi, he fulfills this role of redeemer. And that's what next Sunday is about. So hang with me. We'll talk more about that next week. But he fulfills a specific role of redeemer. But I, but I also have to tell you, like the redeemer has to want that role. And the redeemer has to be willing to do the job. And so she's not just trusting in his title as redeemer. She's trusting that he wants to be her redeemer. It's specific. It's personal. She's trusting in his character that he will want to do this. And guess what? He does. He does. When, when we approach God this way, with an attitude of, of listening and a willingness to obey, when I'm willing to be vulnerable and bold and go before him and trust in his character, I am going to find a redeemer there. Amen. He is the redeemer, capital R for everyone always, but he's like my redeemer. Yeah. Yeah. He wants me. He loves me. He's going to rescue me. It's personal. It's relational. Am I trusting that? And so that's, that's the part we play. We step into that. And, and I love this exchange that takes place. Boaz is honored that Ruth would come to him. Verse 10, and Boaz said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, poor or rich. He's in awe that of all the places she could go, to find what she was looking for, she came to him. That's the beauty of, of the free will that God has given us. God so loved the world. It's for everyone. It's available to everyone. And yet the scripture tells us that it's actually a narrow road, a narrow gate, and few find it. 
most of us, most of this planet will spend their lives looking for other redeemers in this world. And those redeemers will be lacking. They don't have the ability and they probably don't even care that much. But our redeemer has all of the ability and he cares a ton. And he is delighted that we would choose him just as much as he is choosing us. And so she comes to him, she risks, she's vulnerable. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So that's Ruth's part, humility. What's Boaz's part? All the rest. All the rest. He does the work. Check this out. We're just going to read a few verses quickly here and wrap up. Verse 11. And now my daughter, do not fear. He immediately tells her the risk was worth it. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. In other words, not just that she was well thought of, she was, but he's saying, I'm not going to expose you and embarrass you. You're going to be able to keep your honor. I'm going to cover over you and I'm going to be the redeemer. Verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Just remember that. We'll talk about that next week. There's a redeemer nearer than I. Verse 13. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Now lie down until morning. He's saying, I will do the work. I got you covered. I will be the redeemer. I'm going to go work out the details. I'm going to, I'm going to, you, you just rest now and I'm going to go take care of this. I'm going to go make it happen. And so in the morning, Ruth wakes up. This is verses 14 and 15. She wakes up and she gets ready to leave before anybody kind of really recognizes each other. Boaz gives instructions to his guys. We're not talking about the fact that this woman was here tonight. We're not talking about it. And then he does something interesting. He gives her six measures of barley, six measures of barley and sends her home. Now she had been collecting like one measure each day and Naomi was already saying that's an abundance. And now he gave her six measures. It literally says he like loaded it up on her. So I mean, she's got a, a pack. She's taking this home. So she walks in the door and when she gets there, verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, how did you fare, my daughter? I had this amazing plan and then I slept all night. How'd it work out? <laughs> then Ruth told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then Naomi gives us some really cool insight. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled the matter today. Okay, six. He gives six measures of barley. It equated to six days worth of work that Ruth had been doing. Now, I don't know how familiar you guys are with one of the things that the Lord laid out, but he's got, he's got big feelings about how the week plays out. What do we do for six days? What do we do the last day? Rest. Rest. This has been instituted, by the way, long before he gave the law. This God used from the moment he created this world. He works 
And then Adam and Eve were meant to live in rest. Now they were going to work as well, but they were enjoying the rest that God had provided. Boaz is sending a message that Naomi can interpret. When he sends these six measures of barley, he's saying, I'm not going to rest until this job is done. I am going to do the work that will provide for the rest. This is the hero of the story. And this is what Jesus has done for us. See, when we resist the rest that he offers, we're resisting the work he's done on our behalf already. He's done it. He has done the work and he wants us to enjoy the rest. And so the imagery is, I've got it. Let me do the work. You're covered, Ruth. And so that's the message that he sends home. So next week, we are going to unpack what this whole kinsman redeemer thing is all about, why he's saying there's a nearer redeemer than me and the work that he does to resolve this whole issue of them being out of place. All right, that's where we're heading next week. I want to read something in closing and I'm, I'm not gonna teach it. I'm not gonna explain it. Um, I would ask you in fact, to read this and then lay over top of it the five things we unpacked about how we receive rest from God, okay? So you could even do a little homework on this if you want. This is in Hebrews chapter four. In Hebrews chapter four, the writer of Hebrews, probably Paul, um, is unpacking something very Jewish about rest. And he's telling us that our rest is found in Jesus. And I want to read this because I don't want you to think that I'm just taking an Old Testament story and going, let me make it fit. All right, this aligns with the gospel of who Jesus is and what he does for us. So check this out. Beginning in verse nine, Hebrews chapter four, verse nine. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Check this out. Let us therefore do what? Strive. strive. So we participate, just like we've talked about. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So it requires some obedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we need to obey and we need to listen. I wonder how often we've thought about that verse in the context of God wanting us to receive his rest. What if I let God's work cut me to my core to teach me how I can rest in him? Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We may as well be vulnerable because we already are. He sees it anyways. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession so we can trust this high priest. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been emptied as we are yet without sin. And then here's the kicker, verse 16, let us then with confidence or boldness 
draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Jesus, I admit that I strive and I work and I try to control and I scrape by. And Lord, you have made available to me this incredible rest, your incredible grace. Jesus, you have done the work and now you're inviting me into what you have completed. God, help us to hear that this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to walk in humility, listening to your voice, God, saying yes and obeying you, laying down the need to be controlling in our lives. God, help us to risk being vulnerable and find that when we're bold and we take that risk, that you are good and trustworthy. God, we love you and we need you. We thank you that you are our redeemer, that you can do the job and that you want to do the job, that you love us, Lord. We just, we just say yes to that. We receive that from you. Jesus, it is in your powerful, redemptive name that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.